find yourself shaking your fist at clouds? Do you secretly wish you could cause a county-wide power outage? Have you ever caught yourself yelling, stupid moon? Have you ever left your warm bed and stood outside in near freezing temperatures at two in the morning and loved it? Have you ever answered the question, why aren't you getting enough sleep with it's a new moon? If you have ever said, thought, or done any of these things, then this podcast is for you. I'm Aaron King, and welcome to the Astrophotog Podcast. It's episode two. Welcome, guys. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Milky Way coming back. The Milky Way coming back is so awesome. You have a lot of time now to plan. How are you going to capture that Milky Way? And so what I want to do is talk about Milky Way planning. This is something I'm putting out in videos here very soon. So right now, this is going to be an entirely audio-only lecture on how I plan for my Milky Way shoots. But you can take this information, learn as much as you can from it, and then come back and watch the YouTube videos when I release them. So there's a lot of information here to go through. I'm hoping to keep this as fun to listen to over a podcast only, and we're going to start in the darksidefinder.com. I'm going to talk about it as if you do not have these open, but if you want to go them, go to them with me, it'll be the best and easiest way to understand them. All right, so let's get down to it. So how do I plan for the Milky Way? I need darksidefinder.com, Stellarium, Photopills, and cleardarksky.com in that order. And the reasons why, I'll go through one by one each of these apps and websites, what I use them for, what their benefit is. For instance, Stellarium versus Photopills, why do I use both? Then we'll go into gear time and talk with Eric Benedetti. So, darksidefinder.com is absolutely where I start first, and that is just simply, where am I going to go that's going to be dark? Now, real quickly, let's say it for those of you in the East Coast versus those in the West Coast here in the United States, you look at darksightfinder.com and you see these light pollution colors everywhere. And on the West side, you're going to have islands of bright spots, but on the East side, you're going to have islands of dark spots. Almost everywhere is bright except for some islands of dark. The most basic way to tell you what you need to know about this is that if you're going to shoot the Milky Way from wherever you're standing, Make sure that you aren't looking directly through one of those bright spots. If you're in the East Coast and you have that little island of darkness, you can stand in now, you can stand in the light pollution as long as where you're looking is going to be a dark spot. As long as you're looking into the darker areas, that land in front of you between you and the Milky Way is not a light polluted bloom of light, then you're going to be okay. And so when we're planning out here in the west side and we see these islands of light, we're going to try and keep those islands away from our Milky Way, unless you're going for a nice artistic view where you think it looks awesome with that bloom underneath the core of the Milky Way, and it kind of lights up the scene right here and then goes up to the Milky Way. At most, you want to make it so that your foreground is interesting, your Milky Way, that is the brightest thing in the scene, and then it just draws everyone's eye to it, and not to light blooms of light pollution on the horizon. Darksightfinder.com is the way that I know if I'm going to be dealing with any small cities, small towns that have some light bloom that's going to cause some orange or yellow glow in the shot. So once I've decided on where I'm going to go, I need to decide, is this going to be a good timing to go? What, what time should I go? You should consider Stellarium versus Photopills. While Photopills will also tell you how the Milky Way is running, where the moon is, and what's going on there, Stellarium is the first-person view of the Milky Way when you're planning, while Photopills is kind of a top-down view of exactly the location that you want to go. 
So in Stellarium, you have this per- first-person perspective of, oh, so the Milky Way at 3 a.m., it's actually going to look like this. It's kind of a big arc in the sky. And in Stellarium, you can see where the moon is and what time everything rises and sets. And so you can get an idea. I'll move the clock forward. Okay, the moon has set around 2 o'clock. And now, not only do I know the moon sets at 2 o'clock, which I could have found out in PhotoPills, but I'm also getting information on where the Milky Way is and how it looks to me if I was standing there. And I look up and say, okay, that Milky Way is so high in the sky, it's going to be practically vertical. So by the time the moon sets, I'm going for a Milky Way that's vertical. If this time of year is when I want to go, where should I actually go for my shot? So Dark Sight Finder, I might go back to it and find a place that I know is really cool for a vertical Milky Way. Something that I know can frame the shot well and not compete with it. For instance, in Bryce Canyon, I might want a vertical Milky Way next to a lot of those vertical pillars of rock. But I also might hate the idea that too many things are pointing up and I want to do a big arc Milky Way. So I don't want to go to Bryce Canyon. I want to make sure I go to a place that's a lake so that I have trees and lake and then I have this vertical Milky Way. There's all sorts of reasons why you would choose personally one way or another. But just Telerium helps me see, okay, that's how the Milky Way is going to look. And then you got photo pills. Where photo pills helps me the most is that I know exactly a precise foot that I should be standing on to take my shot. Photopills helps you know what time everything rises and sets, astronomical dawn and twilight, all of those things. But the best thing it helps you with is like the photographer's ephemeris, where you can say, here at this pin, I am standing. What direction does the moon rise from me at this point? Or what direction does the Milky Way core show up? If you've used Photopills before, you know what I'm saying right here. But quickly, let's just describe it. Photopills has a pin, and then around that pin, it draws this arc of the Milky Way in dots and the largest dot with a line through it is the galactic core and this rotates around you throughout the hours of the night so as you scrub right and left on the timeline you get that Milky Way arc going up and above you and so where the galactic bulge ends up you have a precise idea of the straight line that says hey from here you're gonna look due southeast and you're gonna see the galactic core And in this location, you're looking in a canyon, it's going to tell you, hey, straight down the canyon, that's not where the galactic core is, it's going to be down over the canyon wall. But if you move to this position, you move your pin up, pick your pin up, and put your pin somewhere else, you can try and really precisely fine-tune where you should stand so that you have that Milky Way core going right down the canyon. So you can see precisely that you shouldn't stand at this 100-yard mark. You should stand 300 yards over here from the parking spot because that's going to put the Milky Way galactic core looking right down a canyon or right to the left of a silo that you're at. So Photopills has an awesome way of telling you, hey, the galactic core is over here from this angle and you can plan precisely whether it will work. For instance, there's a place that's like Horseshoe Bend over in Canyonlands. It's called Dead Horse Point. And from that point, I could look on photo pills and say, you know what, where's the Milky Way going to be from here? Can I get a cool shot standing at the top of the U-shape on this Dead Horse Point and still see the Milky Way? Thanks to photopills, I can put my pin down on any one of those edges of that cliff and say, okay, if I stand here, the Milky Way will be entirely over rock. Okay, I need to go to the other side of this U, right about here on the left side, say around... 
10 o'clock on a clock. I go to 10 o'clock and stand on the U right there. Now the Milky Way core is actually going to be over the view of the cliff where I see the water making that bend. And so I can plan to make sure that I have the bend of water in frame and the Milky Way in frame as well. And so that's what I love about photo pills. Stellarium tells me that, hey, the Milky Way is going to rise at this time here, this time, blah, 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 and it's going to look awesome like this, or it's really low on the horizon, or it's going to be totally vertical. All that information is on Stellarium, but I have no idea where I'm standing in Stellarium. You need photo pills to find exactly where you should stand. Photo pills shows the Milky Way, Moon, and Sun, but in Stellarium you get extra things like satellites, International Space Station, planets, and you have all that information right there in Stellarium. If you're trying to learn the night sky and learn your constellations, Stellarium, Starwalk, Sky Guide, all of those apps are going to be perfect for you, but Stellarium's free. If you want to look for something that's free, this is awesome. So once I'm getting in photo pills and I'm checked, I've checked all this information, I know I have my specific spot, and I'm like, you know what, this would be perfect. This is before astronomical twilight. The Milky Way is in a perfect position for what I want. And if I'm standing in this precise location, I'm going to have a good shot. I can compose a really interesting image, and I can't wait to go. So that brings me to the last thing that I have to do, which is, Will there be clouds? Is this going to be a good time for me to go out there? And that's what cleardarksky.com comes in. Now, those of us in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, parts of Mexico actually, we have cleardarksky.com information. All the charts are for our locations. Those of you in Europe and Australia, you actually do have an option, but it's just a lot worse of an option than cleardarksky.com. It's called skippysky.com.au. You go to the website, you get pulled up, you have a Europe, a United States, and a an Australia map to click on. Click on Europe or Australia, depending on where you're from. And if you click on it, you're going to see that that area has multiple large maps where it's very zoomed out. For instance, in Europe, I wanted to check for Sweden. And in Sweden, it was barely visible at the top right of a map that was showing all of Germany, Netherlands, Spain, or I should say all of France, part of Spain, part of Italy, kind of cut a lot of things off on the edges. But that map at least tells you with the color code of red means there's tons of clouds and towards blue means nothing. That is telling you, hey, over the next six hours, this is where we predict clouds are going to be. It's going to be heaviest in the darkest red areas and lightest in the blue areas or where it's just no color whatsoever. So you can kind of get an idea of I'm in Sweden, the lower part of Sweden, closer to Denmark. And I'm going, okay, that has a ton of red over the next six hours. So you can look at skippysky.com.au and say, okay, I want to go out in the next four hours. And this is showing me the next six hours. And it's completely red all the way to the east, all the way to the west, just right along my latitude. So this is going to be a tough time to go. So skippysky.com.au, it'll give you that map, it'll give you that guide. I don't love it, especially compared to cleardarksky.com. If you check out cleardarksky.com, you'll see... The information there is so much more specific and local to a very tiny area. You can actually look at what happens on this road of this area of Utah County or up here in the northern part of Utah County. You can have that much difference and that much clear information where on skippysky.com.au you have large areas all mapped out with just rough plus six hour rest estimates. Cleardarksky.com has plus 48 hour estimates. They're not always 100%. It doesn't matter. Either one is not always 100%. But man, it was so much, it's so much better working with Cleardarksky.com. So be thankful if you're in Canada, United States, because you have, you're completely covered with Cleardarksky. So let's go into that spot for those of us who are lucky who have Cleardarksky.com. 
I have found the area on the map. I know where I want to go. I know exactly where I want to stand, thanks to photo pills. I know that during these hours or when I want to be out there, for instance, I might know from 2 a.m. until 4.30 is when I'm going to have my chance to see that galactic core. So I want to check that location from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And I'm going to go on to this area and see, hey, is it worth driving all the way out here? Are there going to be clouds from 10 o'clock at night all the way through 10 o'clock the next night? And if it is, then okay, I'm not going to make the drive. So on cleardarksky.com, because again, this is visual, it'll be tougher to understand right here on the podcast, just know that you're going to look at the chart where it has multiple rows of boxes, just colored boxes. Dark, dark blue are the best. So if you can see a bunch of boxes of dark blue, then it's perfect time. Go for it. If you don't learn anything else, just know to look at that box and see, is everything blue? Blue? Okay, good. We're good to go. But more specifically, Milky Way photography, you need to know the cloud cover and you need to know the darkness. Darkness is going to change up and down based on whether the moon's in the sky. So it actually gives you an idea of how bright the sky is based on the moon. So you'll see a really bright light when the moon is up and full. And then when the moon's on the horizon and just about setting, you see how it gets dim to a gradient of blue. And so you can see how, yeah, okay, the moon's still up at this hour, but it's lower light because it's near setting or near rising. And so it's not that bright. Then you look at the cloud cover and you just basically see, is it white or is it blue? There's very, very dark blue for just completely clear. Then they have a 10% covered, which puts it a little bit lighter color of a blue. Then a lighter color of blue and more and more light as it goes to complete cloud cover. And so this is going to give you an idea quickly of... Over the next 48 hours, I look at it on Tuesday, I can see up until a few hours on Thursday, what's the sky doing? In this prediction, since it's not 100% accurate, and the way I say that is sometimes I'll see that around 9 a.m. it's going to have clouds, but all the way up until 4 a.m. it's completely clear. Then I get out to that location, and I find out that the clouds have actually started creeping in already, and that even though it's 4 a.m. only, the clouds are in that were supposed to be here around 9. They've already showed up. So it's accurate. It's just sometimes by the hour, you need to give yourself five, get a buffer of five hours plus to make sure that you know that during that hour, it's going to be correct. So the best way for me is to see it and say, okay, all night long, it's going to be clear going into the daylight. And as long as that's true, I know I'm going to go because if it changes and gets cloudy, I know that at least I'm going to have opportunities where it's not cloudy and I can get my shot during that time, if not just completely clear throughout the whole time. So look at this map, look at this chart, make sure that the cloud cover is blue for many hours overlapping the time that you want to be there. And as long as it is, you're set. The best case scenario and the most brilliant times are when you see that all three days, you know, the hours of the first day and then the whole day of the middle day on that chart and then the hours of the third day that you can see are completely blue and the moon is out of the way. That's when it's guaranteed. Oh man, absolutely go. So how do I plan my Milky Way shots? In short, I use darksightfinder.com to find a nice light pollute light polluted free area or at least a light polluted free direction to look then i also use stellarium because i want to see it in first person and find out what is that milky way doing in first person is it going to look like this or like that and then will there be a moon in my way and it's a quick view to see what's going on for that time photo pills 
very specific planning, precise planning to one exact spot where you're going to stand and capture the Milky Way. Then lastly, the weather app I check is all the weather apps I can, plus cleardarksky.com to know, hey, you know, the weather's nice, but is it cloudy? Will there just be clouds blocking my view of the Milky Way? So cleardarksky.com, or if you're unfortunate and you're not living in the United States, Canada, or parts of Mexico, you're going to have to use skippysky.com.au. So go and check out both those locations. I explain how to use both of those in my, in my video coming up on Clear Dark Sky and Skippy Sky. So you'll have a visual aid to know what I'm talking about here shortly. I just haven't gotten to all of them yet, but I'm planning on making sure that they're all up by the end of next week, absolutely for sure. All right, so let's go into gear time. Gear time today, I have Eric Benedetti with me from the podcast we recorded for Photog Adventures. Quickly, Eric Benedetti, he uses a star tracking mount to get awesome clarity in his image, and it gives him five-minute exposures where he can get a lot of color and a lot of dim contrast that wasn't there before, and with all that extra time of capturing, he can see things like the air glow that was just a little too faint when you had it only 20-second exposure. And so these images that Eric have are awesome. He also uses his camera lenses to do some really close work because you're tracking and following with the sky rotation. He can focus it on something like the Andromeda Galaxy and then take several one-minute exposures for several hours and capture all the detail of the full Andromeda Galaxy. Anyone out there who's actually looked at the Andromeda Galaxy in a telescope, you know that it's just a fuzzy little light, little fuzzball in the sky. When you take a picture of it over several hours and a lot of things where you can stack them on top of each other, you actually see that it's like a large sombrero, just a large flat pancake, very big. That bright fuzzy spot that you're seeing is only the center of a much wider, wider pancake. And he got all of that clarity in his nice shot using just an, he had a 150 to 600 tam run. He also had a Rokinon 135 millimeter. So his recommended gear is gonna be this Rokinon 135 millimeter and to talk about the process that he goes through to capture the Andromeda galaxy. So let's just jump right into my interview with Eric Benedetti. You captured that with your camera and you got an awesome picture of it. Can you tell us what you used and how you did it? I've actually shot Andromeda with a couple different focal length lenses. Mm, what was the best I, one? I have a Rokinon 135. That lens is absolutely fantastic. If you are thinking about getting into deep sky astrophotography and you don't want to buy a telescope or deal with a super heavy long telephoto get that Rokinon Samyang 135 f2 it's probably like optics quality wise second only to the Zeiss uh, 135 wow. like when you read all the tests on like lens tip and whatever it's just an utterly amazing lens and it's cheap it is what so cheap? cheap like what are we talking about? Uh, I think I got mine for 550 nice which is you know in terms of quality lenses that is, the Zeiss exactly. is like three grand, 2,500. <laughs> and when people talk about like the quality, the highest quality lenses of any focal length on the market, the Zeiss APO 135 is like number one always. <laughs> so you've tried um, it with the 135. Yeah. So the 135, Sandy. that's great. You can get, I've shot from Salt Lake city in a white zone, Bortle eight. No way. You were inside yeah, the Bortle eight you. zone of Salt Lake city. You were just outside of it. And in you my driveway. Yeah. Come on. Um, that's awesome news. And, and just try it. Like, I mean, that's a pretty good focal How length. many images did you stack? Because in a situation like this, you try and capture a lot of detail of the dust lanes and the wide 
Halo. Oh my gosh. Um, Brendan's looking at this with me right now. It is. I want to say that was like three or four hours of exposures. Each exposure, about two minutes, maybe. Oh my gosh! Isn't that freaking amazing? So you're telling me that you picked up not only this much resolution of the image, you resolved this much of the Andromeda Galaxy, but you got all those stars and all the colors to co show through without being a completely, utterly blown out, disgusting image. Yep. That's the beauty about deep space astrophotography. You can shoot in the worst light pollution, and as long as you get enough integration time, so total exposure time, oh, you know, the best deep space astrophotographers, they do 10, 15, 20 hours worth of exposures. It is the time that you're covering, but the exposure itself is probably five minutes each or something oh, like that. Oh, not even. You know, in a, in a light pollution area, your exposures could be one minute. Okay, just five hours of one minute shots. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so, like something like the one thirty five, that's a great place to start if you don't want to deal with super heavy lenses or telescopes, but you just kind of want to dabble in, you know, shooting stuff like the Orion Nebula, Andromeda. You have this on your Nikon body with the Rokinon on one thirty five. Yeah. So that was with the D seven thousand. Oh, know. this one's the D seven thousand. Yeah. And that's a crop sensor, crop factor, plus you got the one thirty five. So you do have a little bit more Yeah, it's about two hundred total. But it, the clarity is fantastic because yeah. of the stacking. The other you know, the other exposure I have is a little more zoomed in. That one was with the Tamron one fifty to six hundred millimeter lens. And that was at 450 millimeters with the crop body again. So it's about 725 or so. Wow, no, maybe amazing. not even that, 675. So this is obviously in a tracking situation. You have yep. it tracked, you have it centered, you got your focus, and then you set your intervalometer to take a picture every so often, like constantly, and you just let it run for five hours. Yeah. And you I come mean, back so, and you baked a pancake called the Andromeda Galaxy. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds easy and... It takes quite a bit of effort and time to get used to the whole process of setting up the mount and trying to frame an object, you know, like a galaxy in a very dark sky. <laughs> yeah, in a light polluted area, you be barely could see it. Um, but that comes with experience. But it's definitely worth trying, you know. It, if people think you have to buy expensive telescopes and expensive cameras and expensive right. tracking mounts, this was taken with my Star Adventure but I've taken a great shot of the Orion Nebula with my Ioptron Skype Tracker. So it's not... The original one you're saying too, yeah, right? It's the, the one that has the, the design flaws. The design problems. <laughs> you don't need crazy equipment. You need dedication and you know time. So now this is a long time for exposure, but the time yep. in processing, what kind of time sure. did you put in to process the stacked image? This will dismay a lot of people so <laughs> i'm out <laughs> you know this uh, this orion picture is three hours of integration it's 181 minute exposures so i captured that over two nights it took maybe you know five or six hours of actual setup and everything time to capture the images processing time wise yikes <laughs> i would guess 30, 40 hours of processing, just purely monkeying around with stuff, stacking, editing, restacking, re-editing, checking things, calibrating, correcting, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm f that, that's probably the unfortunate thing about deep space astrophotography is you might have 20 hours of images 
you know, exposures, but you could spend five times that much time just trying to get them right. Yeah. Processing quite a commitment. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to do it. I am willing to do that. Not everyone's going to be, but I wanted to inspire you guys to hear what it's like and some of the realities of what it is to do it and why you guys could do it already. If you just had something that could track the sky. Yeah. I mean, and you don't, like I said, you don't need crazy expensive telescopes or lenses that Rokinon 85 millimeter that I've used. I got great shots of the Milky Way with that. And that lens was like 250 bucks, you know, <laughs> like you can't give those lenses away for any less than that. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Thanks Eric for joining and hopping on with us on the Astro Photog podcast. And I'm looking forward to in the future, bringing you back on and doing an ask me anything. And let's talk more about astrophotography. Thanks Eric. Sure. Thank you. Oh boy. I can't wait to do that myself. But as you heard, it takes hours of effort. Now the effort of actually capturing the, the Andromeda galaxy or anything in the sky It's kind of a set and leave, let it go off on an intervalometer or using magic lantern. You don't have to stand by your camera the whole time, just let it run. The true effort, like you said, comes in with the processing and how much effort goes in there and all the time. But it's going to be worth it. You're going to have some things that are just going to be amazing to put on your wall. If you really love astrophotography and you're ready to graduate from Milky Way photography, get one of your long lenses out or even just a 50 millimeter put it on a tracker or even just do stacking and focus on small areas of the sky. For the 50 millimeter, get a row of complex picture or do the Andromeda picture like we just talked about. A lot of awesome stuff there that we can talk about over Astrophotog. So let's just keep going into that over the next few weeks and we'll all get better at this together. Thanks guys again for listening. We'll be joined by Daniel Lindhart and Travis Eggett next week to talk about actual trips out to the Milky Way. Hopefully this has helped you with an idea of how you can use these planning tools for your aid and benefit and why you would use each one. And between now and next Friday, when I get all these other videos edited and put out there, you'll have a visual aid on exactly and precisely how to use use these tools to your advantage and then everyone should be ready to go for the next milky way of this month that's coming up hope you guys have a great week and i'll talk to you next thursday